Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. G'day and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Luke Martin and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania, or TICT. TICT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in the beautiful state of Tasmania. If you are a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and enjoy today's episode, please remember there are now over 80 Talking Tourism conversations available to download and listen wherever you access your podcasts, or you can simply stream them on the TICT website, tict.com.au. Now let's get into today's conversation. Imagine you've just been appointed to your first general manager's job with a hotel. It's a brand new hotel. It's in regional part of Tasmania. Your owners are not a big multinational hotel chain, but a Tasmanian family investment firm. And you start planning your business only for the world's greatest ever pandemic to fall on your lap. How do you navigate such uncertain circumstances? How do you review your business plan? How do you manage your staff levels all during some of the most uncertain and difficult time for uh, anyone in the visitor economy? Kate Bucknell had to navigate those very circumstances in the first general manager position with the great new Hotel Verge in central Launceston. To tell us about it, please welcome Kate. G'day, Kate. Hey, Luke. How are you going? Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> now, uh, we do have a few listeners. First thing we need to probably explain for those that haven't been to beautiful Launceston, checked out the Hotel Verge or from interstate, uh, give us a sense of the scale of the hotel and, and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hotel Verge is an 86-room hotel um, in the Launceston CBD opposite the iconic Albert Hall. In terms of the facilities here, 86 rooms, we've got event spaces, restaurant, fully equipped gym, etc. Um, we opened last September 2020 um, and certainly like you've recapped to start with, it has been a year to end all years. <laughs> um, the hotel originally was due to open in May 2020. Yeah. Um, so sort of our year with all business planning, etc. like you mentioned, has very much changed throughout 2020 and we're certainly on the back, back foot there a little bit um, but super excited to lead up a brand new hotel in Launceston. It's the first hotel to be opened for a couple of years, particularly in the CBD yeah. um, for, for several years. So a really good opportunity with not a lot of development of this scale in Launceston at the time, just unfortunate timing <laughs> in terms of opening. <laughs> so, um, so unpack that. When did you get the job um, to be the general manager? So I started in January 2020, um, thinking this was my year. <laughs> so this was, and this was pre-COVID. So no, no sense about some strange little virus no. coming out of China, was there? It was you, you're no. ready to go, raring to go. I mean, I was I sort of joined and sitting in on site meetings and very much heavily involved with the owner Linden on the construction and the vision of the hotel and certainly 
could not have forecast what was going to happen. And certainly um, end of March, we really kind of, we were sort of joking about early January, February, end of March, that realisation when you started looking at the veracity of the the pandemic, um, we kind of made the decision actually we're not going to open this hotel when we think in May. And that's yeah. probably one of the, the most positive things to come out of it is that the hotel wasn't open. Yeah. We managed to sort of dictate when the hotel opened and how that looked. Um, opening something brand new, um, unlike sort of some of our comp set, we didn't have access to JobKeeper. So we had to be very sort of strategic on when we opened and what that opening but, looked like. So, so in that context, when you made mm. that decision, what, in March, to defer the opening by, what, four or five months, you must have had some staff sitting there employed, probably left other jobs, uh, as you say, no JobKeeper. Um, Yeah. yeah, What did you have them doing? Oh, look, we honestly, so we had two members of staff that were contracted ready to start. We delayed their start and it was a really difficult decision, particularly when those two people I had worked with previously, so had a really good, um, amazing working relationship and it was a very difficult conversation. At that same time, I took a step back as well because if I'm asking staff not to start, I need to step back as well. So it was a sort of a really tricky period, but we sort of stepped back and... um, Again, homeschooling, I've got young kids, so it made a little bit of time for my family as well over that period. So where construction was delayed a little bit with COVID, et cetera, it sort of allowed us just to refocus on other things, knowing that when we were going to be open, it was going to be a very busy period. So so that's an interesting point. You you expected Mm. when it would open, you thought it would, the projection, you're planning that October when you made the decision that you saw enough confidence to expect that, we, yeah. we won't be a dripping over start. It'll be, yeah. it'll hit us. Yeah, and, and look, it hit us in a different way. I suppose we didn't plan to open with every room open. So 86 rooms, we didn't plan to have every every single room operational. So we're very strategic on how we opened. So it was very soft, launching with a couple of floors at a time. So that allowed us to really do it well across a couple of floors and then slowly build up being fully operational um, with all rooms by December, which is when we anticipated borders opening, interstate travellers coming back in. So that was really our end game to have the full hotel online by December. So between September and December is really just focusing on the quality of the product, um, uh, really focus on costs without impacting the guest experience. Um, And that meant our team was very lean, so myself and one other full-timer, and then a team of casuals. And our casuals sort of – and that probably leads itself into another issue, which is finding the people within this period. We didn't have – a lot of people didn't want to move roles within this period because they were in solid employment and they didn't want to take the chance. A lot of people also leaving the industry to find job security elsewhere. So – there's sort of so many things that we didn't anticipate in 2020 thrown at us. I think the biggest lesson is kind of expect the unexpected. And that was a big challenge for me personally because I'm a planner. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had this plan on how everything was going to run through 2020 and the realisation that that wasn't going to happen the way I wanted was a real sort of wake-up call for myself um, and probably one of the big kind of learnings that I've had and I feel like I can – that last year has taught me a lot personally and professionally. Um, 
And I think going forward, this skill set now that I have being a GM, but being very hands-on. So when things were going wrong, I can, um, so I, you, I joke, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you had two full-time staffs, you serviced mm. some rooms during that period, yes. didn't you? Yes. Yep. So, and I was the maintenance person. <laughs> the maintenance person. <laughs> yep. I, yeah. Um, the things, and, and I laugh about it with, with the owner, is that the, the job description becomes kind of in the number of pages because you just kind of get used to doing a bit of everything because you don't have the resources to be able to hire a full range of staff. So I get clients that ring and I answer the phone personally. I check people in, I check people out. Um, I think that's allowed me to really, I suppose, have a really good feel on the pulse of the hotel. Um, I'm also really lucky to have an amazing, now we're up to about um, 27, 28 employees and I've got a really amazing team. And that's one thing with a new hotel, I knew the opportunity was so great is to develop a culture that is, you're never gonna get walking into an existing property. You're gonna inherit um, ways of doing things that aren't yours. So very much the team, I hope, has a lot of respect for what I do in and around the property. Um, I'm pretty easygoing, um, but I also like things a certain way as well. So over that last almost year, we've just we've hit the sweet spot now in terms of culture for the team. I know, I know, I know there's about 150 uh, B&B and small accommodation operators around listening to this going, well, what are you on about? Like, well, I do that every day. We service the rooms and we're the maintenance person and we're the person who checks it in. So it's just a different perspective when you're, uh, when you're, when you're coming from a larger scale hotel. Yeah, just absolutely. On the staffing issue, um, we, mm. we've obviously got this immense challenge now around our workforce, those conversations, um, trying to convince people who, you know, in some cases were unceremoniously stood down um, and, think, mm. and, you know, again, we know there are other sectors where their their skills are transferable, you know, customer service, disability, aged care, you know, lots of job opportunities yeah. out there for people. How challenging has it been for, for you to actually recruit people back into the industry, let alone uh, new people into it, um, given the uncertainty? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, we and we have very much in a number of spaces where we can hide people with no experience in hospitality or tourism. And it's actually, whilst the training element has taken longer, these individuals are exceptional. We've hired them based on the personality and that customer service. So we've hired people that have worked in, say, real estate or somebody that's worked in guiding and all very, I mean, our our team is very varied and they all have their kind of uniqueness and they're hired on that um, sort of skill set. So whilst it's taken a lot, from a training hotel sort of knowledge background. Um, We've sort of taken a leap of faith in a number of people that just haven't had that experience and it's worked out really well. So you hit the ground running, December comes, the summer um, growth happens. What met your expectations? Uh, Obviously, anecdotally, we we certainly know that it's been a pretty strong six months. Yeah, we um, and we've done it on very sort of small team because we haven't been able to find the extra housekeepers, that sort of stuff. Certainly, Sydney closure in December had a big impact on us. Um, in hindsight, we probably weren't ready for that anyway. (laughs) From a staffing sort of point of view, it probably even though we lost a lot of revenue, I think from a from a customer satisfaction without all this uh, enough staff, we probably wouldn't have been ready for that sort of influx of um, interstate guests anyway, and the demand that comes with that as well. And and then obviously coming through to twenty twenty one, we've been we've had a really solid six months. Really happy with how the hotel is going. Um, customer sentiment is great. 
our sort of key target markets, um, a, a couple of them really, we very much focus on the corporate traveller. Yeah. Um, and that's one aspect, I suppose, um, if we, with Borders Shut, we've been able to really target local business travel and that will sustain us going through. So, with so border closures currently, we seek New South Wales. And was that your business model pre-COVID? So, yes. it is, I mean, yeah. the, the nature of the hotel seems to me to be very much, as say, in a city, corporate, Cheek, yep. cheek, but also obviously the ledger, you know, it does appeal yes. to a very strong. So it's you've kind of very got two markets in mind. Is that yep. sticking to that now post, you know, through yeah. COVID? Is it so you've ad- adapted, but it's still following the same projected yeah. course? You haven't doubled yep, down on leisure? Absolutely. No. Yeah. No. And look, leisure certainly when borders were closed, there was that element of going from a leisure point of view, our property doesn't speak to families. Um, we don't have interconnecting rooms. There was that point where you go, okay, do we need to try and meet this market? And then the realisation, it just doesn't fit with yeah. the hotel. So it's really understanding how the, I mean, the the building and the design, it's sort of designed by Cumulus and built by Fair Brothers again. So it's amazing kind of Tasmanian collaboration, but it's really designed with those markets in mind. So the facilities, the rooms, et cetera. So yeah. we've sort of been managed to, to meet that. So obviously we'll It'd be nice um, to continue that and particularly that interstate pick up again. So, obviously, we're sitting here today, though, and half the country is in some form of lockdown. <laughs> mm. So, despite all that good positivity recovery, we're sitting here in the late July and New South Wales indefinitely, perhaps. Um, mm. uh, Victoria's come out of lockdown. We're hoping that they will potentially be back online you know, in days. Uh, South Australia's come out, but it just shows how uncertain it is. And for you to be no job keeper, obviously, not that you ever had it, but, you know, you've got yeah. that 27 staff to sustain. I mean, is it a week-by-week proposition for you or you you got a bit more confidence that we'll, you know, we'll come out of this? How, how do you plan your you know, employment levels, your revenue, your booking channels? Yeah. How do you, how do you mm. reset that? Oh, I think the the key thing is staffing. Again, we've got a lot of casual staff, um, so we can dial down staffing levels based on sort of forecasted demand. The challenge with that also is keeping those, we've got a really sweet spot of casual staff, we don't want to lose any of them. Um, So it's sort of maintaining those casual knowing that it may be uh, three or four weeks of less shifts, but we will get through this and then coming into say September and look, July and August will be a challenge. Um, Certainly hopefully positive with Victoria opening back up. Victoria is one of our key sort of feeder market so hope fingers crossed that sort of picks up and people say incentive to travel corporate or leisure back into tassie um but yeah in the meantime it's just simply survival mode um still maintaining sort of our offering for those guests that are in um and really taking the time to go back now that i've got a bit of breathing space (laughs) go back to that strategy and go what can i do differently now um, to sort of tap any short-term demand here locally as well. Um, yeah. And exciting to hear things like the the tourism sort of vouchers coming back out. Yeah, I was going to say, what's your thought on the vouchers, mm. given everything you said about uh, what, um, yeah, I guess two messages around that. It's mm. not really for the family market, but mm. we also know these vouchers are not going to be over school holidays. So yes. you, you, probably a different prism than last year for you around how you approach those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a great thing, anything that supports the industry getting about out and about. I mean, ideally it's spent in properties that 
kind of like ours, which are all fully Tasmanian owned and operated and that money then stays in the state and employs more casuals and all that sort of stuff. Um, so fingers crossed, people see the value in spending vouchers in a property like ours, but anything that we can do to stimulate that spend locally is great yeah. Um, yeah, and, and is a win-win. So, yeah. um, I'm just curious, uh, your thoughts on Lonnie and where it's placed um, – Given oh. say uh, major, what do you think? Launceston's my sense is it's on a cusp of something quite special with the some of the developments yep. that are mooted and you know yep. new new products, which I think you know let's be honest, all parts of the state need investment in new product on a regular basis, and we've got you know two or three really quality hotels marked. Um, yep. if, you know, again, obviously owners wouldn't have invested unless they saw a really exciting period for Lonnie coming up. Is that is that where your yeah. head's at? Oh, absolutely. So I'm sort of born and bred Launceston, spent a lot of time in sort of Melbourne internationally and then come back and I love it. I think we're seeing more and more people come to Lonnie and go, actually, I've been to Hobart, but now I'm going to Lonnie because I can't go anywhere else. People from Queensland travelling to Lonnie over winter, which is normally unheard of. Um, And the sentiment is they didn't know what to expect in Launceston, but they were kind of blown away. I think there's so many more little businesses and entrepreneurs opening small adventures here in Launceston that then you have um, a hotel sort of this calibre and more development, which is only a good thing. And we're seeing more and more um, sort of incentive travel where people can't travel um, internationally now. So Tassie is sort of seen as something quirky and interesting when we've got so many things to offer sort of between Lonnie, Cradle, East Coast and Hobart. So people can base themselves in Tassie and travel around and have a have a sort of an amazing experience. I think Launceston is probably like a surprising destination because people get here and go, oh, so what do we do? And then you sort of start going, well, you've got this within our doorstep, um, amazing vineyards and the food and beverage element, which is yeah, two hours from East Coast, mm. Cradle Mountain. Yeah, best wineries absolutely. in the you know some of the best wineries in the country. It's it's as I say it's just that needs that we've always just needed that little push to get a get off the bucket list to the yeah. you know real serious proposition. Whereas um, I think that's all sort of seemed to be evolving. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think sort of yeah, look, the opportunities are great. Um, I think that that Tassie brand is so strong. That we just need to capitalise, and I think from a service experience, people come and they're blown away by the people of Launceston. I think everyone's kind of got these unique stories to tell, um, and yeah, they'll sort of go home posting on their social media and sort of spruiking Tassie. So it's great. And just needed some uh, some really great quality product, which is um, what you and others are, are injecting. That is um, great to see happening. Okay, thanks for being so open and candid and um, sharing the, some of those experiences. There, as I say, you, you have a different perspective because a lot of you know startup is a different to a business that's having to adjust through that that twelve months. And um, I thought it was incredibly um, insightful to see get a sense of what that's been like for you. I think the workforce issues are something that's going to continue to pose challenges for people in your roles and my roles uh, for the indefinite future. But um, yeah, it seems to be um, ultimately it's about the culture, as you say, that you create as an, being an employer of choice. Perfect. All right. Now, I sent you the seven big questions, how we end <laughs> all of these podcasts. So, and I know you've probably been stewing on them. So, um, and this is about giving our listeners, and particularly people around Tassie who know some of the people being interviewed, um, uh, the opportunity to see a different side and perhaps a personal side rather than just the, uh, the work talk. So, Kate Bucknell, the seven big questions, favourite spot in Tasmania and why? 
Um, this was an easy one. Um, Greens Beach. I've got a shack there and it's kind of when you work long hospitality hours and you have stressful opening, this is my happy place. Greens <laughs> Go Beach. there. Yep, absolutely. I'm, sh- I'm, showing Summer my su- winter. I'm showing my southernness that I cannot um, actually say I've been to Greens Beach. <gasps> so I know criminal. criminal, criminal. It's a bit like northerners <laughs> saying they haven't been to Bruny Island. Um, yes. <laughs> okay, favourite travel destination anywhere in the world? Um, Europe. I Europe. lived in London for about four years. A European summer is just the the quintessential, the access to all the countries and the people and amazing. Best city in Europe? Favourite city in Europe? Um, uh, probably London. London. I think it's, yeah, it's just kind of this melting pot of people and I've got that association of working there for four years and friends and yeah, can't wait to get back there. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to get there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> something, someone coming to Tasmania for the very first time in their lives ask you what's the one thing they absolutely must experience while they're here other than visiting Greens Beach. What do yeah. you tell them? <laughs> um, I went to here because I go, one, I'm a Lonnie girl, so you've got to go to the Cataract Gorge. Yeah. I think we're just absolutely so lucky to have that on our doorstep um but also one of the best things i've done in the last year i've done the floating sauna at derby yes, yeah. and it is probably one of the best experiences i did it just before the hotel opened and did it with a group of girlfriends um and i met nigel on a tourism taz update and just had one of the most amazing experiences so i highly recommend it from a uniqueness point of view and amazing. what a great story what a great example mm. of innovation it's fantastic yep. yeah you're walking the overland track have you have you done the overland I haven't. It's you on haven't. the list. Okay. Well, who would be the three people, anyone in the world, famous or not so famous, living or dead, that you'd want to walk the Overland track with? Oh, and this one was the hardest one, to be honest. Um, and I've gone with kind of a British theme. I'm not sure why, but the three people I chose, Michael McIntyre. Um, I think he's hilarious. Yeah. And I think just for the, the sheer comedy, yeah. um, I think the parenting jokes he does are amazing. Um, Louis Theroux from just a conversational point of view, he's amazing. And then lastly, again, a British theme, but one of a really amazing old work colleague of mine, Helen, who I worked with in London and sort of the UK for about four years and I haven't seen about seven years, I would do it with her as well. So all these three three British people are really fun few days. G'day, g'day to Helen if she, when she's listening yeah. and uh, we look <laughs> forward to, to welcoming you to Tasmania <laughs> sometime in the next decade when, uh, yes. when the UK is allowed to travel uh, into us. Uh Right. Uh, you are road tripping around Tasmania. What are you listening to in the car um, right now? A, Any recommendation? I've, I've got a playlist called Kate's Party Mix. Kate's Party Mix. <laughs> uh, I know. What era? Is that? Um, oh, everything. Right, okay. <laughs> everything. A lot of dance house music through to 90s gold. 90s um, gold. Beautiful. Bit of Britpop. Yes. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, a bit of Love Shack is probably my favourite song. <laughs> Tequila, um, oh, know all the words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really daggy. Yeah, and a bit of Oasis and Blur and I'm sure yes. a lot of, yeah, okay. All yeah. right. Uh, and when you arrive at your destination of choice, Greens Beach, uh, yep. what is your Tasmanian tipple of choice? Uh, t- absolutely gin and tonic. Gin and tonic. Um, I mean, I don't want to name any amazing Tassie gins, <laughs> but there's a heap of them. And yep. yeah, any sort of gin I'll happily take. And the boss knows how to keep me happy by bringing <laughs> me gin. <laughs> yeah, especially especially weeks of the borders uh, coming down and restrict, risk being restricted. Bottle of uh, gin, part of the employment. Absolutely. Uh, not that we recommend that kind of uh, management. Yes, but yes no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, last one, last one, the big one, the big, the big debate, the big challenge. 
Curried Tasmanian scallops, a culinary delight or a culinary crime? Absolutely a delight. A delight. <laughs> you love yeah. our like, a wonderful yes. Tasmanian scallops being dolloped in, in curry powder. Oh. And it's funny, I was talking to my colleague about this and she's, she loves scallops, never tried them curried. So it's one thing I'm going to do for her shortly. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. All right. Well, Kate Bucknell, thank you. General Manager at Hotel Verge. Check it out. Uh, when you're next in Launceston, have a bit of a Google if you're listening. Um, great place to stay on your next visit to the north. And uh, thank you, Kate, for giving us a bit of insights into the experience of uh, opening a, n- a new hotel in a regional city in the middle of a pandemic. Thanks, Luke. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Talking Tourism. Talking Tourism is a production of uh, Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania with the support of Mac 40 Media. You can subscribe and, of course, as I say, have a listen to some of the other 80 conversations um, from tourism uh, stakeholders and perspectives all over Tasmania. And um, uh, we look forward to hearing you, talking to you next time. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism. Talking Tourism.